0: Finding Purpose in the Pain, One Adoptee's Journey from Heartbreak to Hope and Healing, an Audible Memoir by Pamela A. Caranova. Chapter 14, The Struggle. Life was about to take a whole new turn. I graduated from high school and got my diploma, and I also enrolled in some courses at the local community college. On May 21, 1998, I gave birth to twins as 29-week preemies. Damia weighed two pounds, five ounces, and Damon weighed three pounds, one ounce. While I welcomed two beautiful babies in the world, Keela was four years old at the time. I was a struggling but strong-willed single mother. There was nothing that was going to come between my kids and me. Once again, I was forced to depend on Patricia because I had no family in Kentucky, but I also depended on public assistance to help me with the bare minimum and to keep the lights on Because the twins were so small, I had to keep them home and out of daycare for the first year. This made it impossible for me to work, so I had no choice but to get food stamps, Medicaid, and housing assistance. We didn't have a car, but we managed. My deep-rooted skills of taking the city bus as a young kid would learn to pay off. I did everything I could to keep my babies, all three of them, even when they didn't have an active father in the picture. I made it happen to the best of my abilities. Finally, I saved up enough money to move out of Patricia's and I got a three-bedroom apartment. Patricia was furious when she found out I was approved for Based on Your Income Housing. She didn't want me to be independent because I wouldn't need her as much. Instead, she thrived on me depending on her. I had no idea what codependency was at that stage of my life, but unraveling the mess all these years, I now know we had a codependent relationship that was highly toxic. I felt thoroughly trapped in my relationship with her, especially now that I had three children as a single mother in a state where she was the only family I had. But once again, I felt like this was her plan. When we, we, when we would get into arguments, she would always say, Your life is my life, and anything that's your business is my business. As a 24-year-old mom of three, I had no idea if, if if this was everyday parenting. However, it felt utterly intrusive and overwhelming. However, the twins came home from the hospital, sharing their bedroom. Keela had her room and I had my room. We lived in a decent apartment and we had everything we needed. The first year after bringing the twins home from the hospital were some challenging times in my life. They had off-scheduled sleeping patterns, ear infections, breathing inhaler machines, and seemed to have constant doctor's appointments. But we made it work, and we made it through it. If I can raise a four-year-old and a set of newborn twins as a young single mother, anyone can do it. Of course, nothing was easy about it, but my motto has always been, we may not have it all together, but together we have it all. My kids had me, but sadly, I was still a very broken person raising three children. I made mistakes and at times was clueless about how to raise kids when I had the experience I had with my adoptive mother and biological mothers. But unfortunately, I didn't have any examples of a happy and healthy mom or a normal mother and daughter relationship. I was still a partier, most evenings drinking boxed wine. Alcohol seemed to tame my misery regarding the emotional and mental torment I experienced from losing my birth family. Not to mention my experience in my adoptive home with Mark, Giovanni, Diego, and Patricia. Patricia seemed to become an enormous responsibility for me as time passed. Her home was always filthy, just like it was when I was a kid. Even after moving out, it was my responsibility to help her keep her place clean in exchange for her helping me with the kids. She seemed to move a lot, and it was my job to pack up all her things, gather my friends, and load the truck, and help her get settled in the new place. Let me not forget that it was always my job to go to the old places and clean them up to get them up to par so they could be re-rented so she could get her deposits back. My job was to come to the rescue when she found her dead old English sheepdog on her basement floor from neglect. Any random task she needed to be done was always my job. It was all on me if something broke or if something needed to be put together. When she had a hip replacement surgery, it was my job to caretake her back to health. I bathed her and ensured she got where she needed because she couldn't drive her car. Patricia was almost more of a responsibility than my 3 kids. She continued with her habit of staying up all night, sleeping half the day, and her pill addiction increased significantly after she had a hip replacement. The doctors gave her endless pain pills and she was completely wrapped up in the treatments of the doctors and the medical industry. Anytime she was in the hospital or ER, I was the sole one for being in charge of caretaking for her before, during, and after she went and was discharged. While she graduated to get her RN nursing degree, she had issues at every job she worked. She was written up for falling asleep while working the night shift. She was fired more times than I can count from various nursing positions, which created a substantial emotional fallout that somehow I was responsible for managing. One of the many memorable events was when I received a call from her supervisor. They let me know that they had let Patricia go as a staff member, and she was currently on the floor crying hysterically in the nursing director's office. They wanted to contact me because I was her only emergency contact. Little did they know, this wasn't the first shit show. At that time, I was exhausted with Patricia, and there was nothing I could do about getting her up off the floor of her boss's office, especially when she was hysterical in the middle of a meltdown. I instructed them to call 911 so the ER could deal with her. This was one of the first times I set a boundary for myself. I didn't even know what boundaries were at the time. I felt obligated to go to the ER to check on her, but I only stayed a few minutes and left to be with my kids. By this time, I am annoyed and exhausted with my responsibilities to caretake Patricia, which was exhausting. But I owed her for helping me with my kids and I couldn't survive raising them without her. And she made sure she let me know continually. So it was a total, you help me, I help you relationship, but not by my choosing. There was no one in Kentucky helping me take care of Patricia. And at the end of every day, I was entirely indebted for taking care of her and all her wants and needs. So really I had four kids, but Patricia was an adult who couldn't take care of herself. Nothing had changed from my childhood aside from me being the Lone Ranger and target of 100% of Patricia's emotional, mental, and physical outbursts and needs. I was angry, but I had no way out. No one in my life understood how these dynamics made me feel, but I kept pushing forward. But now I had something to live for. Even when I didn't want to live for myself, I knew that my kids needed me and I needed them. So I wanted to live for them. But unfortunately, I was in an unhealthy relationship with the twins' father, and all of a sudden things turned another twist when the twins were seven months old. In June of 1999, Patricia decided she was moving to Salt Lake City, Utah to be closer to Melanie, who had moved to Salt Lake City from Iowa in 1997. I hadn't had much of a relationship with Melanie since leaving Iowa, but sharing the responsibility of Patricia after all these years didn't sound like a bad idea. Finally, someone could help me with these responsibilities of caretaking for Patricia Melanie and Patricia convinced me that I would have much more help with my kids and I took the bait. Two family members are better than one, right? However, it was either that or be in Kentucky all alone with no family and three kids as a single mother. I lacked the confidence or strength to believe I could stay in Kentucky and care for my kids as three small children with no family at the time. That was a scary thought, so we started to pack up our things and I didn't feel like I had a choice. I think Patricia again tried to lure me away from the twins' father, who lived in Kentucky, just like she did with Diego when I left Iowa. In April of 2000, we packed up a 22-foot U-Haul and began a journey across the country. I couldn't help but hope things would be different than our childhood. Little did I know the same shit show was present from when I was a kid, but it just relocated to a new destination, and now I had three kids to think about. The views and opinions expressed in this article, memoir, and podcast are that of the author Pamela A. Caranova. Reproduction of the material contained in this publication may be made only with the written permission of Pamela A. Caranova.